You're listening to Football Friday Night On Demand exclusively on 600 ESPN El Paso. Stay up to date with high school football scores, updates, and news by downloading the free 600 ESPN El Paso mobile app. All right, welcome into another edition of the Football Friday Night Podcast. My name is Adrian Broadus. I'm joined by my co-host, Alex Nicolas, recapping week four, getting ready for week five. A couple district, uh, districts getting ready for league action. So excited to talk with you, Alex. How's everything going, my man? Oh, it's going good, man. Going good, getting ready to get into district play. Uh, all games count, but as we know, district games count just a little bit more. Those wins feel a little bit sweeter. Um, you know, and of course, the, dr- the stakes and the drama rise as district play starts. So uh, excited to see uh, what district play brings. And uh, talking about a couple of very, very interesting matchups to o- open district play and the, and the districts that are that are getting underway this week. Oh, yeah, most definitely. And before we uh, preview some of these districts getting underway with their, um, you know, their conf- their district play, let's recap this past week. I wasn't in town. I'm still here in the great state of North Carolina, staying with my family. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, but I got a chance to catch up on everything over this past Friday. I, I want to let's just start right away with yours. Overtime thriller. Kenya Teo pulls it out 34-28 against Del Valle. What a game, Alex. Uh, let, let's break this down, uh, you know, piece by piece. Give, give me what you saw in the opening half, because what I read from you is that Del Valle was off to a slow start, especially offensively in this one. Yeah, and I really credit Donald Thiel's defense. Um, their game plan was very, very um, – you know, normally when you look at, at Donald Thiel's defense, their defense is, 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 you know, they keep it real simple. You know, they got a, they got a very quick front three, whether they go odd or even. Um, and then their backers fill and, and do a good job. But what they were doing against Del Valle is they were dropping their ends into coverage. They were bringing backers behind those ends that were dropping into coverage. I mean, we're talking about exotic blitzes. Um, Jesse Ramos, you could tell his eyes were just all over the place from the read option to, you know, simple short throws. Um, you know, Cano Theo's defense, along with their effort and, and the grit that Cano Theo just plays with defensively, I think really shocked Del Valle about how hard they were really playing. And, and like I mentioned, the exotic blitzes, dropping ends in the coverage, bringing backers on the backside of that, twisting up front. Um, and they stayed in that odd man front. And, and that, to me, was really the difference. And also, too, they shut down Cristian Martinez. I mean, they just took him out of the game. Um, you know, they really made them play left-handed in the first half um and that was my biggest takeaway of is, is really what Cano Tio did up front uh more than anything now on the backside of course you got to give a lot of credit but I think what they were doing up front rolling their defensive line over dropping guys back I don't know if Jesse Ramos had seen that before and that was really through Del Valle's offense off rhythm because they've been pretty explosive they've been pretty efficient in their first couple of games um you know getting off to the start that they have and I think you know seeing that wrinkle that uh, kind of feel through early that was something I think that tripped them up and, and it took a whole half for them to really get going and sort of figure out how to get around what kind of Theo was trying to do to to slow their explosiveness down so in the second half, as you wrote, uh, Jesse Ramos kind of settled into himself. And I, I give this a lot of credit to head coach Rudy Contreras and how he was able to kind of adjust on the fly. He knew that Christian Martinez yeah. was being shut down at the running back position. And, it, and you know, coming into this one, it, we have to mention, it was the battle of the two running backs between LJ yes, Martin sir. on one side with Kenya Tio. And on the other side, it was Christian Martinez with Del Valle. But no, they, they adjust. It was a lot of passing plays. That was really how Del Valle I actually caught, got back in this game, right? 
Yeah, it was. And, and Ramos, you got to give the kid a lot of credit. You know, he played with so much heart. I mean, you know, you look over the X and O's part. I mean, this kid really willed his team back into this game. I mean, there was a stretch in the second half where he completes eight passes in a row, um, you know, four of those going for first downs. And he really got in a rhythm with Eli Molina, who looks like to be devised big time player. I mean, he had six catches. I had him six catches for 142 yards in the second half alone finished with 147. Um, you know, he really came out in that second half and they started getting to basics. They went to their short passing game, a lot of out routes. They got Molina out in space. Molina's a big kid, six two, uh, you know, 190 pounds, hard to bring down. He made some big catches. There was a long catch, um, you know, that, that really got them in, but mistakes for both teams, you know, really compounded, um, you know, what was an exciting finish, but yeah, you know, you got to give coach Ramos and, or excuse me, Jesse Ramos and coach Contreras a lot of credit for going into halftime, figuring this out really on the fly and, and getting back to basics. There was really nothing they did. Of course they abandoned the run, um, you know, which was one big glaring thing, but, but the fact that Ramos was able to get into that rhythm and really before district play to be able to show that, that in this, you know, and the environment and, and the intensity of the game was like a playoff atmosphere, Adrian. So I think that going forward for Del Valle and Jesse Ramos, that's going to be a big boost for them, even though they lost in overtime. But to see that second half, those adjustments, the execution, um, you know, and the chance that, you know, you know, going in that first half when there's down 14, nothing like I don't think it was going to run away with it. But for Ramos to give his team a chance late in the game, I think that's huge for his confidence going forward. And as Del Valle as a whole, um, particularly their offense. All right, so we buried the lead a little bit, but the star of the show tonight was uh, in this game was junior LJ Martin. What a game. And on the heels of getting his fifth FBS offer with Kansas State uh, coming out and offering the standout running back here in El Paso, not only did he run uh, rush for 198 yards, three rushing touchdowns, but he also had some nice plays in the receiving game and a game-changing interception. Tell me a little bit about LJ Martin's performance and what really stood out to you. You know, you talk about impact players. I mean, LJ Martin was impact with a capital I, capital M, and however you spell impact, man, because, I mean, that kid really just, you know, you're talking about sprinting on the defense those first two touchdown runs. I mean, that really set the tone. Um, you know, those were drives where, you know, Delvai's defense first series, they shut down LJ Martin. It was three and out. Um, and then, you know, those next two series, I mean, 58 yards, I believe, in the 77-yard runs. I mean, he just went untouched. You know, he just has a, an unorthodox kind of glide, um, you know, where, where that offensive line, Line that's a veteran offensive line, you know, opens those holes for him and he knows how to hit it. And, and um, you know, going what really stood out to me was that, you know, in the fourth quarter, the set, third quarter, they sort of went away from him um, after he had about 150, 160 in the first half. Third quarter, that you know, Del Valle really controlled the ball with their offense. So, uh, Canotillo didn't get very many possessions in the third quarter. But when they did, um, you know, you're talking about that long pass that Martin had um, and, you know, just his hard running and getting, continuing to get first downs. And then on the defensive end, um, in overtime, being in the right time, at the right spot at the right time. I mean, you know, this kid really is starting to come into his own. You know, he played a lot as a freshman, um, you know, was sort of kind of a decoy in a sense. They would give him the ball. 
lead. If he makes some yards, but now you're seeing him be part, being a part of that offense, being the focal part of the offense. And he's really, really thriving. And, and in that district, I mean, right now he's head and shoulders, the best player on that on, in this district. And that's going to be tough to defend for anybody. Um, you know, the way that he runs and, and the way that that offensive line blocks, and then he's versatile. You know, you're talking about that long touchdown pass where, you know, the kind of Theo really set that up, run inside, run inside. And then all of a sudden here goes Martin out to on a wheel route one-on-one with the, with the safety. And Martin's going to win that battle eight out of 10 times. And that's really going to be a, he's going to be a matchup problem for a lot of teams in this jersey. And Oh yeah. Hey, He's just a junior, man. He's just a junior. He's got so much talent, and he can throw the ball. So I really, really think the sky's the limit with this kid. And talking about those Power 5 offers racking up, I think that's going to be the first of many to come, um, you know, over the next two, you know, a season and a half now uh, for Conor Theo's LJ Martin. And going back to just the the fact that you called him the best player in this district, I mean, that's saying a lot because you have quarterback Damian Contreras, who we'll talk about in just a second with Yasleta. You have uh, Demarion Christ with Parkland. You have the Kihas quarterback with Horizon. I mean, that's saying a lot right there that a junior in LJ Martin has really taken control of this district. Again, Kenya Tio defeating Del Valle 34-28 in overtime. Huge victory for the Eagles in that one. Transitioning over to that other game, Isleta. 35, Jefferson 34. What a game this was. The Indians knocked off the Silver Foxes for the unbeaten ranks. Both teams, uh, well, actually, Jefferson coming in trying to keep their record perfect as they get ready for district play, trying to get all the momentum that they can, and simply could not outlast Isleta. Now, Isleta quarterback Damian Contreras, he was the one who scored on a one-yard rushing touchdown with just five seconds left in this game, writes our our reporter Jaime Chavez, the coach, uh, Alex. Alex, and this one right here, I mean, I feel bad for Jefferson because we've talked about Nathan Alcala all season long and how great of a player he is. But it's a credit to the Isleta Indians just simply not letting them lose in this matchup. Yes, and we talked about it last week about, you know, what happened with uh, Yesleta against Riverside where that was a close game and it was Riverside, the team that was able to finish. Well, in this particular ball game, you know, this was Yesleta's chance to finish. You know, they were down, I want to say it was 21 nothing at one point in this game or, you know, Jefferson jumped out to an early lead in that game and Yesleta is able to climb back, you know, with that explosive offense that we talked about and that ability to make plays and, and you know, growing and going forward. That's what this you know, part of the uh, pre-district schedule is all about. And I think Ysleta took a big step forward in confidence, um, you know, going on the road and being able to, to, to win a game the way that they were able to win it. That was very impressive, especially bouncing back the week before an emotional loss to a very good Riverside team. And, and probably it's a game that they feel they may have probably should have won or kept closer, um, you know, but for them to mentally recover and to recover in that game, the way Jefferson jumped out, that says a lot about Yisleta's growth and, and that's a big win for any program and, and you know for Jefferson you know it, it's a learning tool for them you know we talked about them you know wanting to to become uh, that spoiler and you know where you know we even kind of fantasized last week Adrian talking about oh you know what they control their own destiny to a district title right. well, these type of losses can, can possibly shape that focus and make you even more better and, and Nakala's a baller Rubio's a baller um, you know there's some talent there at Jeff and you know but learning to win 
win. That's you're learning to win consistently. Um, I think that's Jefferson's next turn of the corner. Um, but to be able to, to hang with a team like you said, who's definitely a, a playoff team in their own district, you know, it's at least a, a third seed in, in my mind right now, even before a district game is played. That still shows that Jefferson is on that right track, finishing those type of games when you have an equal um, to you. You know, when you're starting to play up, that schedule is getting a little bit tougher. Um, that's where you really start to figure things out. So honestly, just a, just a good game really for both teams. And, uh, you know, good, good, good for us as, as fans and, and media guys to be able to watch and, and break down as well those close nail-biting games that goes down uh, to the wire there. I want to ask you about two games, just your reaction. If we should overreact to these games, just the final score. Riverside 46, Horizon 36, a little too close for comfort with the Rangers who probably should have beaten Horizon a little bit more than this game, or, or are you not worried? I'm not too worried because Ernie Garcia is the real deal. And they had a pretty stronghold lead at some point. I remember hearing one of the scores, uh, hearing the score where they, they sort of had a lead um, kind of going away. But, I mean, you know, Horizon's a team, and, and I go back to their scrimmage with Andres at the beginning of the season and their ability to, to move the ball with Guijas and, and, and Ernie Garcia. You know, those are experienced players. So, you know, I, I think for Riverside, um, you know, for them to be able to continue doing what they're doing and putting up points and their strength um, is offense, you know, in putting up points like that, you know, nothing to worry about just yet um, because of the fact that you got to give Horizon some credit that they can put up points as well. So not so much of an overreaction, um, more of a, of a reaction to, to how tough Horizon may be. Uh, maybe not a team we're talking about as far as a playoff team, but a team that can catch a Parkland, a Canotillo, maybe slipping, um, you know, and give them a, give them a, a good run for their money you know over once we get into the thick of October what about that last game that we should mention El Dorado Clint and the Aztecs just beating the Lions by 330 to 27 the Clint Lions could have actually tied this one Uh, a game potentially game tying field goal sailed left and it wasn't good for Clint Uh, is this a little bit alarming for El Dorado in this game no, you know what? I, honestly, I think that it's a very good win for El Dorado. This is a program with a new coaching staff, um, you know, trying to revert what, what's, you know, been, you know, let's just be real, just been a, a, a tough time for the program that started off as, as, you know, looking like it could be a consistent winner. And over the past three seasons, it hasn't been the case. So they're trying to find out how to win again. And they're trying to figure things out offensively um, and seeing Isaiah Rudison go off for over 300 yards and, and see what, um, the, what El Dorado wants to be offensively you know Quincy Garcia was our excuse me Quincy Estrada was also back out out there at quarterback him and Richard Portillo have been working in time at quarterback so they're to see El Dorado start to figure things out I think that's going to bode well for them and, and Clint is not a pushover I always think Clint's one of the toughest 4A schools um, you know they always have talent they're always in the thick of the district title race in that district so you know it doesn't surprise me the way that Clint's able to come in here and keep it close but I think for El Dorado um, you know like I said with the new coaching staff and, and, and for those kids to try to turn it around and to pick up that win the way that they did, you know, obviously it came down to that missed field goal, but you know, that just shows that, you know, El Dorado is also improving and that's what you want to do at this time of the year, figure yourself out, have one of these games or one of your kids goes off and now you have something that's a bread and butter going forward in a district play where it obviously things are going to get tougher for them. Now, 
Seabiscuit Heather writes that it was Isaiah Ruddison in this game who really stood out for him with the Aztecs 285 on the ground. All four of El Dorado's touchdowns, including one rush from 75, uh, 77 yards out, one from 66, and t- a pair of rushing touchdowns from 45 yards out. Pretty impressive for uh, him and the El Dorado Aztecs uh, squeaking by and getting that victory. Uh, Alex, let's transition a little bit to next week. I mean, it was a very short week this week with high school football. Next week, we are busy in a full slate of games and it begins on Thursday some interesting games we mentioned the Jefferson Silver Foxes how about them opening up district play against Burgess previewed this a little bit last week but you're getting Tavoris Jones you're getting Nathan Alcala huge game to start things off in district play yeah, and Burgess has to be feeling good. You know, they beat up on Hanks last week, but sometimes, um, you know, those type of games coming off the loss against Montwood, I think that was a really good bounce back game for them. So I think their confidence is going to be flying high. Um, and Jefferson's coming off of that loss, like we just talked about. You know, we, we, you want to see where you, you want to gauge, you know, getting up for those type of games, who who's who's going to step up, you know, that's really going to be the key. You know, you talk about all the stars in this game, um, you know, execution. And obviously now you're getting into district play, you know, depth, you know, that's where something where a team like Burgess could possibly expose the lack of depth that Jeff has, but Jeff is, is playing with that heart. Coach Martinez is going to have them ready to go. That should be a good game, but it wouldn't surprise me if you see Burgess sort of wear them down, especially with Tavares Jones. Um, Figuring out what they want to do offensively, I think that's also something that Burgess is going to be evolving as they go along. We all know it's get the ball to number two, but getting the ball in creative ways to number two, I think that's going to take Burgess back to that championship uh, contender level. And, it, you know, it starts off right away with, with a, you know, a district title eliminator game per se, um, you know, giving Jefferson a little bit of love for their good start in non-district. How about the huge game that's next week in non-district play? It's still Austin versus Chapin. Gosh, that could be a great one on Thursday night, Alex, with the Austin Panthers trying to get some momentum heading into district play. Chapin actually stringing together a couple good wins lately. I wonder, if, I wonder who wins this one. This should be a good one. Yeah, that's going to be a pretty physical game. Mason Sandifer had a really good game this past week, um, airing it out against Irvin. Saw some really good highlight touchdown passes that he threw running out of the pocket. I think he had over 250 yards, about four touchdowns, um, looking at some tweets. So he's he's gaining confidence. Zeke Pastron had two touchdown catches in the ball game as well. Um, looks like, you know, that kid's in midseason form as he should be very experienced player. I'd like Chapin's experience in this one, but, you know, we've talked about Austin before. Um, you know, that expect to win attitude that they play with. And, and really the key for me is, is can Chapin's offensive line, who's very young, uh, been exposed a little bit against some really good teams that they play. Can they hold up against a very aggressive Austin front seven? That's going to be the key. If they're unable to, to – protect Stanford. Stanford's running for his life or they're unable to control the line of scrimmage as far as any run game. That's going to be advantage Austin because they're going to be able to get that Chapin offense on the field and control the the ball with their con- ball control offense. So it's really to me that in that game um, it's a good measuring stick again for Austin to continue building what Coach Pachardo's building but I also think uh, for Coach Warner and Chapin you know you 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 looking at this, this game as maybe Chapin's a favorite um, you know coming 
leading into this one, but still shaping the you know offensive line. That's going to be their biggest. That's their biggest weakness. Um, you know, right now at this early juncture of the season, and and that's where I'm going to be really keeping an eye on this game. That could be the deciding factor if Austin's able to get some pressure on Mason Standifer. One of the themes that I'm hearing from this podcast is expecting to win, developing a program that just expects to win to some degree. Now, I want to reel off two games in 6A that really uh, stand out to me right off the bat to get started with district play. It's Eastwood taking on Pebble Hills on Thursday, and then on Friday, Eastlake taking on Americas. Now, Americas goes into this one against Eastlake 0-3. You look on the other side with Pebble Hills, they've struggled as well. I mean, Pebble Hills uh, fell earlier to Delvaya this season and has had some struggles as they're kind of that younger offense. First with with Pebble Hills, do they have what it takes to slow down a very good Eastwood team? And same question for Americas, can they hold down a really good Eastlake team defensively? You know, starting with Pebble Hills, I think it's going to be tough, at, at least for them defensively to slow down Andrew Martinez. I mean, we all know the talent that he brings. And, you know, Eastwood's going to be a little hungry. You know, they they got kind of took to the woodshed a couple of weeks ago in San Antonio. They got a week off. And, you know, I think they're going to come back hot. Um, that's good. If Pebble Hills is going to win this game, they're going to need their offense to really put up points. I think they're going to have to score more than 40 points to beat Eastwood. Um, but that could be what, what Pebble Hills um, may have to be this year. I think this is an identity finding game for Pebble Hills. Um, and why not against the district, you know, against the favorite in district one, six, a, so, you know, you're talking about Gael um, Ochoa, who's the new quarterback there. Um, I know they're running in um, kids. Trick, I think it's Jacob Estrada is the, is the the other kid that they're working Ledesma, in that quarterback uh-huh. Ledesma? There you go, Jacob Ledesma. I apologize. Um, you know, the, the, I think that's the an identity finder game. Normally, you want to find your identity before these type of games, but why not? You know, why not have a game where you know. It, you know, and then it can even be twofold. What if their defense is able to figure something out? Yeah, as tough as that's going to be against a very, very prolific Eastwood offense, this is one of those games where Pebble Hills, if they're going to be a playoff team, you know, this is a game that I don't think they can afford to lose by two or three touchdowns going away. This is a game where I think they really got to show some early maturity. I know they got some young players, and that's why I've mentioned early maturity of uh, early mature. Um, play of being able to jump out to a lead, holding a lead, fighting back in the game, um, you know, throwing counter punches when Eastwood knocks, you know, throws a big punch with their uh, heavyweight offense. That's going to be a key to see if Pebble Hills is for real. But, uh, you know, looking at it as far as, you know, if you're basing it off what we've seen from Pebble Hills, um, you know, Eastwood should have their way offensively. But can Pebble Hills answer with their offense? You know, Choa isn't a a pushover. I see him get out of the pocket. You know, he's a game changer as well. You know, he's also developed being sort of the same way Martinez did just a couple of years ago. So, they, you know, these type of games sort of lead to coming out parties. And will it be the Pebble Hills defense or will it be their offense that, that's going to carry them through district play? And, uh, you know, there's no f- seeing and waiting. They got to figure it out right away with the good Eastwood team, particularly on a Thursday night. Let's stick in 6A. There are two Dark Horse really good games in this one. And speaking of Dark Horse, how about the two Dark Horse contenders for this district title in Montwood taking on Franklin? I, I can't wait for this one. It's the Cougars' homecoming week, which is so funny to me, Alex. And then with the Cougars, um, you know, they, they're they riding a little bit of momentum. They had that big win against Andrus. On the other side with Montwood, they present some really good talent with guys like Emil Oaxaca. Uh, Melendez is coming into his own as, at the quarterback position. 
position. And like you've highlighted all season long, their defense is not one to kind of overlook. How do you see this one going? I, I feel like this one could be an absolute shootout. Yeah, this is a, a toss-up. This is hard to predict this game. Um, I feel like I'd be wrong if I made a, a full prediction because these teams, I really feel they're evenly matched. Um, you know, both come in with confidence. Both have experienced guys and in, in, in good spots. And, and to me, I think the difference in this game may be Cameron Bird. Um, I, you know, I talked him up a couple weeks ago. Uh, that win against Andrews was very impressive. Now we get to see, you know, Cameron Bird in district play and, and, you know, his play, his quarterback play that really, you know, came to the forefront of the win against Andrus. Can that come to the forefront of wins against and district play starting week one against a very good Montwood front seven um, that's right now living, leading me to that slight uh, edge, but also, you know, Montwood's experience, you know, you're talking about, um, you know, a, a guy like Yamil Oaxaca, you know, who, who's a playmaker, just a straight up playmaker, straight up baller, man. If, if Montwood's able to get, the ball in his hands in more creative ways that's going to be tough for Franklin to stop and the interesting thing you know if Franklin's able to get back Stephen Powers that's really a big missing piece of what Franklin does on both sides of the ball that's something that I'm also looking forward to um, you know to see if Powers is back but you know right now I would lean Franklin as a slight favorite just because for you know Montwood they got to find some other ways to get other guys involved offensively you know can they get that running game going you know that's a key that's another question too to be able to keep that Franklin offense off the field who's really starting to find a, a rhythm there with you know like I mentioned with Bird his receivers and then of course um, you know Miles McWhorter who's you know ran for over 150 on Andrus and is going to be one of the best running backs in that district this year so that's a game that's uh, up in the air, hard to predict, but I can tell you what it's going to predict. Somebody's going to be on the outside looking in on the district uh, title race, and the winner of that one will have that inside track in terms of controlling their own destiny once you get up there to play the Eastwoods and the East Lakes later on in the season. So a very, very, very important game. If any of the, if either of these teams feel that they're district title contenders, you got to be able to take care of business Friday. Speaking of outside looking in, there are two teams who are going to vie for, let's just be honest, Alex, they're vying for their one and possibly only win in all of district play. And I'm talking about Socorro Coronado. Now the Thunderbirds have struggled mightily this year. They've lost two opponents like Carlsbad. They got killed against Del Valle, blown out against Chapin. And then now they take on a Socorro team that has the momentum. Let's just be honest. I mean, they beat El Paso high uh, two weeks ago to get their first victory. And, you know, God knows how long all the way back to 2016 that you're having to look back for the first victory for the Bulldogs on the gridiron. I, I, this is going to be an interesting one because I'm not sure I, if either of these teams could get another victory in district play. Um, you know, I'm, I'm actually going to go out on a limb and say Socorro wins this one. I don't know what you think, Alex. Oh, man, you can get some Coronado hate on that one, bro. But I know. I mean, um, you know, for Coronado, I know their quarterback I, 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 was, was injured early on in the season. And he, I don't know if he's going to come back, and that's a big blow for Coronado. And that's one of the reasons why you're seeing Coronado get off to a slow start. And, you know, I tend to agree with you. I think 
you know, what uh, Socorro has is size and they have some talent, you know, like obviously they're not a, a team that we're going to talk about going to the playoffs, but they're a team that are gonna, is, can give teams like Coronado trouble. And, and this for Socorro, you're looking at maybe, you know, a springboard win, who knows, you know, what this could do for a team like Socorro. But yeah, I'm, I'm on that train. I think you could put me on that train too. Um, you know, Socorro, obviously offensively, I think, kind of has it figured out maybe more than, than Coronado does. This could be a low-scoring game, and it could, could come down to the team who makes the least mistakes. Um, you know, that's really when I, what I look at both of these teams and, and really what they've struggled with. Um, you know, just the little things. A team that executes the little things should win, and, um, you know, big confidence for them, you know, going on early on in the, in, in the district schedule. Um, you know, whoever can come out of a, what should be a, a physical tussle there. How about this out-of-town um, battle? It's Riverside taking on Monahan's pinging over to the 4A ranks. How about this game? Because we've talked about Riverside possibly being that team that runs the table. It showed a little bit of vulnerability this past weekend against, like you said, let, let's just be honest, it's a pretty good Horizon team that's tough. I mean, they're, they're a tough team that's not going to let you blow them out. Now, Monahan's is a, is a talented group. This one should be a great game. I mean, out of the 4A ranks, if Riverside really wants to try to run the table, and put together a string along a perfect season. It starts against Monahans. They've put together some great wins so far, especially against uh, Isleta, like we talked about two weeks ago. This one should be great. Yeah, you know, this is going to be a very, very tough game for uh, for Riverside. Looking at Monahans, they handled Clint pretty easily. Um, they beat Andrews, which tells me, and you beat Andrews. Andrews is one of the best 4A teams. Um, you know, this side of, of Interstate 20, I guess you can say, um, you know, that's that shows a lot. They had a close game against Fort Stockton this past week. And, you know, I think for Riverside, what this game really poses more than anything, if Riverside's able to, to somehow pull off this win, um, you know, on the road, um, this is going to get some statewide recognition as far as Riverside's start. Um, you know, not only would it be a 5-0 and start, but, you know, you're looking at Angel Munoz started, really starting to turn heads as far as his quarterback play um, and what Coach Recorder's building there. So I think really in this one, um, you know, for Riverside, hey, you know, you lose it, it's fine. It's a good measuring stick win for you going forward. Um, but really where I see this for Riverside is being a chance to really put the state on notice and, and to put that 4A D1 um, you know, really in notice when, when, you're, when you're looking at that district where that, you know, could this be a rematch later on in the season? Uh, you know what I mean? Go, or as far as playoffs. So, you know, that's really what I look at it for me is, is can Riverside um, turn some heads and show that, you know what, they're not only for real in El Paso, but they could be for real, um, you know, in region one talking about four, a playoffs coming up, you know, later in November. I think that's really the barometer that I think coach recorder and his staff are looking at rather than, you know, just giving somebody a good game. Hey, let's show them that we're here and that we're, we're for real. And, you know, Riverside's a, a, a very talented team offensively that can get it done. I just worry about them defensively. Can they stop the run? Um, you know, where's their depth defensively something that maybe has been questioned over the past couple of weeks, you know, particularly um, showed up against Yasleta, kind of, you know, let them, let them let off the gas or however you want to, like we talked about Horizon being talented. Um, that's going to be a big question, big, big game, big opportunity for Coach Recorder and the staffs. 
want to talk about two games. Give me your thoughts on both of these. Horizon Bel Air. Now the Highlanders host the Scorpions in this one. Highlanders trying to get back on track at, on this season. Now, when you look at them just in their district uh, schedule right now, they've won. Uh, they're they've uh, they've actually are they're two and two on the season. While Horizon comes into this one one and three on the year. Another game that I want to preview real quick as well. El Dorado taking on Isleta should be a great game. I mean, the Indians coming off a lot of momentum after that. Chapter. Jefferson victory, El Dorado taking in some uh, momentum of their own, trying to continue their winning ways. They're one and three on the season, while Isleta three and one want to. They definitely want to continue uh, and, and get more momentum as they get ready for district play. Two interesting games. I mean, when we're, when we're talking about non-district matchups uh, in Week Five. Yeah, continue tune-ups for both teams. I really think that, or for both of those games, I really think Horizon's going to put it together in this one against Bel Air. Um, we talked about as 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 good as as Guijas and and Ernie Garcia are. I don't know where Belair's defense is as far as being able to consistently slow them down. And I really, really think that's going to be advantage uh, Horizon in that game. That could be one of those lifting wins that they need right before district play. Um, you know, Belair, you know, played a. Beller played a Sinali team that's obviously 0-4 and, and, and not going to be a contender in that district. So a good win for them just confidence-wise. But I think, you know, when you look at what Ernie Garcia can do, has the highest uh, yardage, single-game yardage total right now in the state with 430-plus yards. I think that's you right. see a similar performance um, from Ernie Garcia on that one. Um, you know, and for El Dorado, you said, I agree. I think that's going to be another close game. Both teams coming off of close games this past week, um, you know, can't help. You know, those games can't, can't, can't help you, can't hurt you going forward. And I think, you know, for both teams continuing to figure it out, that's probably the theme of both coaching staff this weekend. Let's continue to figure ways to win, figure ourselves out. It's a long district season coming up. You know, how do we stay healthy? How do we continue to build confidence? And I think that's what you're going to see in that game that's going to be a close game exciting game should come down to the last possession um and that you said at el dorado game for sure last game i want to mention this is also non-district i mean i don't i feel like we're lying to our audience alex previewing some district games we promise they're all kicking in next week but one <laughs> last one to, to to preview is del Valle taking on parkland now this one's really yes. interesting because the matadors enter this game one and three on the season their their record does not indicate how talented this group really can be especially when we get underway with district play now del Valle coming off a very emotional loss against canyon Teo, of course they want to get back to winning ways on their end and you know they want to come into district play with all the, the momentum that they can led by their quarterback Jesse Ramos, Christian Martinez, who is quiet against Kenya Teo, trying to bounce back in this one, and Parkland. Uh, you know, it's, it's Crest. It's it's the defense that they have. It's, it's that Parkland Matadors team that wants to reclaim that Northeast and show why they should be in the conversation to try to win that district title for the third time in a row. I, I feel like this is a huge game for both teams. Let me ask you this, Alex. Is there any scenario where you think Delvaya might have a little bit of a hangover from this past weekend's emotional loss against Canyon Teal, or do you think they'll be ready to go for this one? 
I think so. And what I think it's going to be is it's going to be a cre really credited to the athleticism of the Parkland Matadors. Uh, you know, when you look at any hangovers or any slow starts, you know, Parkland's got their mojo back. You know, I, I look at this Parkland team and this Parkland program, um, you know, three or four years ago when they won that area championship and made that run, they lost to Canotillo. They lost to Del Valle early in the season. And they were sort of a, a young team per se that maybe not young, but really trying to figure out what they wanted to be. And that's what but Parkland, I see in Parkland, you know, they're trying to figure out their quarterback um, situation is what we were getting some reports from last Friday. They were working in both guys at quarterback. Um, you know, obviously, you know, Isaiah Beasley is going to be a big part of the run game, but they also got back, um, you know, the younger O'Bannon brother made an appearance his season debut last week. So, you know, there's some pieces there for Parkland to really put together and give Del Valle fits. And obviously Del Valle would be, you know, maybe about a seven to 10 point favorite if we're putting odds out there, but it wouldn't surprise me to see Parkland cover that or win because they're trying, they're figuring that out as well. And this is a, a you know, we talked about that expect to win aspect of programs. Well, that's where Parkland is. You know, they expect to win getting back in and beating Bowie, even though Bowie's having a down year, that's going to do due diligence, you know, starting off this week against Del Valle at home. So, you know, Will there be a hangover? I expect there to be, but like I said, it's going to be because I think Parkland's really starting to figure themselves out. To me now, it's, you know, looking a little bit further at Parkland as far as their offense, who's going to be the quarterback to get those talented guys the ball, to get, you know, the DJ Crest the ball. You know, you see that one-handed catch that he made? You got to check that out. As well. Oh, man, it was um, beautiful. Know, that, was, that was talented, man. That That's talent right there. So that's what Del Valle is going up against, and I think that's going to be, a, a, you know, again, just like any district – non-district game kind of sound like a broken record you know just to feel yourself out and continue building yourself and I think for both teams this is going to be a positive game um, you know but obviously you just don't want to come out and, and get blown out in these type of games you want to give yourselves a chance all the way to the end and, and both teams have that ability more previews to talk about than recaps this week, simply because of some uh, teams taking buys this past weekend, especially, you know, certain districts like one six, a next week, week five, we'll be in full swing. I mean, we're talking about wrapping up non-district play for some, some districts and then kicking off district play for others. So it should be really interesting to catch up next week. Again, uh, another short edition of the podcast this week, Alex, but I, as always really appreciate the great work that you always do. Can't wait for next week and hey maybe we'll have a little guest or two how about that yes sir yes sir getting to the mid-season point man it's flying by it really is alex it's crazy to think we're already week five but hey as always really appreciate it alex we'll be back again next week all right yes sir thank you